Hey guys, I'm Caleb Giddings, and welcome to Gun Day Brunch, brought to you by Taurus USA and Guns.com. If you're looking for information about defensive firearms for law-abiding Americans, you can go to TaurusUSA.com. And if you're looking to buy those guns, there's a handy little link on the website where you can go straight to our friends at Guns.com to make your purchase and have that gun shipped straight to your FFL. For the next two weeks on Gun Day Brunch, we've got two very special episodes. It's a two-parter featuring Melody Lauer of Citizens Defense Research interviewing Chris Seipert. Melody is a firearms instructor and content creator in the industry, obviously. She's been around for quite some time and has created some really great content, as well as founding the company Citizens Defense Research, which I do subcontract for and teach my revolver class through. They've created courses like the Armed Parent Guardian course, which is like a concealed carry for parents, and there'll be more courses coming out for that. And Melody has a whole stable of instructors that teach for her, and one of those is Chris Seipert, who is a, mem a retired uh, Green Beret and an excellent instructor. So I want you guys to sit back, relax, and enjoy this two-part interview, part one of which you're listening to today, with Melody Lauer and Chris Seipert. All right, Chris, you've got some stuff coming up, and we want to be able to introduce uh, you to everybody and tell people about your classes and what you have coming up. So first, tell us about who you are and what you do for CDR. Hey, Melody. I'm, I'm Chris Seipert with Citizens Defense Research. I've been with the company for uh, uh, just, over, uh, just over three years now. Um, originally, I was born and raised in Texas. I joined the Army out of uh, high school. I uh, spent 20 years in the Army, most of that time in Army Special Forces, as what's called a Green Beret, um, and primarily spent my time teaching our partner forces uh, in places like Iraq, Afghanistan, and Syria. I uh, was had the privilege of being an advanced uh, skills instructor in our Special Warfare Center uh, at an advanced skills course uh, for three and a half years, retired, and I've been teaching open enrollment training ever since. And what I do at CDR is I teach a number of classes, some of which we're going to talk about today. Awesome. So the two classes that you have coming up um, are the home defense class and the force on force class, which tell me about, we'll start with the home defense class. Tell me about your home defense class just in general. Like what's it about? What can people expect if they take that class? Yeah. So I, I, Conceived of, of a one-day home defense class, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in one-day classes because, uh, you know, folks are a greater pool of, of prospective attendees are going to be able to uh, devote a day to attending the class and a day to the, you know, the budget of the class uh, than, than necessarily two-day classes. What it is, it's a class that looks at, at a holistic approach to protecting yourself and your loved ones in and around the home. Um, and the first half of the class is, uh, is basically a presentation discussion format, you know, it takes place generally in a classroom. Uh, where we talk about home defense planning, uh, and really, frankly, that's the more important part. Uh, and then uh, beyond that, once we're done with kind of talking about literally everything from lighting to landscaping to hardening your entry point and various aspects of uh, home defense and home defense planning, uh, you know, how you respond during the day at nighttime with loved ones, you know, uh, in various places throughout your house. Then we, we go out into the range and we work on some actual, uh, you know, some technical skills, some shooting techniques uh, that are specific to the home defense contact uh, context and shooting in and around structures. So is, would you say that's the biggest difference between your home defense class and uh, like a regular shooting class? Or is there a specific difference between that or and an average pistol class that someone would take? 
Yeah, so the the entire focus of this class is uh, context specific, meaning, um, you know, if, if someone doesn't have a lot of handgun experience, that's fine. We'll be able to bring those folks along. Um, however, the the idea is that if you literally are just like, hey, there was a series of break-ins in my neighborhood and I've, I've always felt safe, but I think I need to get serious about, you know, this, you know, home protection thing, just buying a gun and throwing it in your sock drawer is insufficient. And frankly, even being a really good shooter is is also insufficient by itself. Uh, because not only are there uh, contextual considerations for like shooting a gun inside your own inside or around your own house with your loved ones present that you need to be aware of, but frankly, um, in, in an ideal world, you're going to be able to en engage in some avoidance behaviors, some deterrence behaviors, uh, and some recognition and early warning behaviors that hopefully will will shape your environment uh, so that the need to actually shoot somebody in or around your home, um, the, the odds of that become vanishingly small. So it's literally here's all the things you can do to make your house an uninviting target. Here's all the things you can do to uh, give yourself early warning. Here's all the things that you can do to make it literally hard to access your, you and your loved ones within your home or around your home and failing all that. Here are the shooting solutions, you know, with an emphasis on the specific techniques and what kind of changes uh, when you're, when you're having to use cover concealment, possibly shoot while moving and, and those kind of things. And, and that was what would be different from just kind of a typical like, okay, here's the target. And when I, you know, when, when uh, you hear the whistle or I say, oh, you're going to start shooting, uh, it's all very, very um, tailored to um, safety in and around your, your home. And what kind of experience do you have that has kind of, or do you have any experience that has kind of led you through this curriculum or led you to develop this curriculum? Well, it's, there's really a twofold answer there. Um, the the first answer is, you know, among the special operations uh, units, you know, people debate, uh, you know, oh, Navy SEALs versus Green Berets versus Rangers versus whatever. And and for the most part, those are, you know, pointless debates because uh, different special operations units are different or are, you know, have unique mission sets. And, uh, and so, you know, is a hammer or a screwdriver better? Well, it depends on what tool you need. And likewise, depending on what mission you need done, one unit maybe better than the other well one of the things that that army special forces prides herself on is uh, effectively planning uh examining the problem whatever the problem is uh, reverse engineering you're know, working backwards from like, okay what do we need to achieve and then working backwards from our desired end state uh to develop a a you know a plan and we call it backwards planning um of the steps we need to take to ensure this this end state um and so applying that that kind of critical thinking methodology to any problem set is helpful and it's you know, fairly straightforward to do with the uh, the home defense context and home protection. Beyond that though, um, you know, more humorously, I spent most of my adult life as a uh, professional home invader. Um, like, you know, part of the other part of what we do in special forces, we will often lead indigenous forces on raids, uh, uh, you know, raids and other offensive actions to capture or kill, you know, terrorists, uh, you know, enemy insurgents, whatever it might be. And when I'm setting up my house to just make it uninviting, I'm thinking that in, in the United, you know, continental United States, uh, United States context, it's like, okay, if I were going around and I wanted to like go into that house and make that house mine and dominate that house and take what I wanted or victimize people as I please, um, what, were, what would be the things I'm looking for and what would be the things that would make my task more difficult? Uh, and so without you know, living a life of paranoia and turning your house into Fort Knox and spending a gazillion dollars, um, I'm trying to give people realistic, practical uh, actions they can take um, that will make somebody like 
it will that will make uh, invading and dominating their home difficult for someone like me. And if it's difficult for someone like me, it's generally going to be difficult for uh, most of the violent criminal actors you're likely to encounter in the United States. I would say that's probably true. Um, so what do you think is the most overlooked aspect of home defense, in your opinion? Um, really, I think it's the deterrence aspect. Um, there's, you know, and the class, I try to look at it from just about every angle. But the reality of it is, uh, and, and deterrence takes many forms, too. Um, literally, there are ways to use lighting, exterior lighting. And of course, it's going to depend on where you, whether you live in an urban suburb and a rural environment. We talk about those considerations. But yeah, you can use lighting. Uh, you can literally landscape your yards, trees, and bushes in a way where, you know, done one way, a criminal might say, oh, yeah, like that's the house. That's the one. That'll give me plenty of place to hide and do X, Y, Z while I'm trying to get in. And then another house, you know, you, you can construct your landscaping and lighting in a way where they're like, nah, man, that's that's too much work. Uh, and where they're literally just going to pick your neighbor's house because it's an easier target. And then deterrence in terms of hardening your entry points and other things like that, where um, if I've got to kick somebody's door, uh, you know, 20 times as opposed to once to gain entry or I'm going to smash a window over and over and over because they've taken some measures to harden their windows. Um, how long am I going to stand there under your well-lit porch, uh, you know, porch light and kick your door before I'm like, you know what, I'm out of here. The neighbor's lights are coming on, dogs are barking. Uh, so I think deterrence and, and again, um, and along with deterrence, you typically often get early warning because if, if I can recognize trouble way before it shows up inside my home, I'm a lot better off than if I wake up and there's already somebody in, somebody in my house. So, um, and typically what deters will also help provide early warning. I know that makes complete sense. Um, so what are the prerequisites? Do you have any prerequisites for this class? Um, so the only, uh, the only prerequisite that I have uh, is that for this class is that I would strongly prefer um, short of reaching out to me in advance. And if, and if you're watching this video and like, you're like, Hey, I've literally never fired a gun before, but I want to come to this class. Um, I would recommend, you know, a very basic, just, you know, uh, pistol safety class, familiarization class. Cause yeah, if you've literally never fired a handgun before uh, there's, we're not doing, you know, uh, ninja, uh, you know, Jedi level shooting techniques or anything like that. But if you, if you're not, uh, comfortable with firing a handgun, have not fired a handgun, this is probably not the class for you. If you've been through like basic level handgun classes, like like very classes that include a live fire portion where you have to actually like qualify and shoot some you know, target of whatever difficulty, um, then I can work with you. Uh, it's even better if you have some experience uh, in, in working from a holster. Um, however, depending on class size, um, I can work with folks, um, you know, if, especially if I have a smaller class. But in general, I would prefer that you are, are comfortable drawing from a holster and holstering after you're done shooting. But there will be an extensive you know, briefing on that. And if anybody's having trouble, I'll be able to work with them. Generally speaking, though, I wouldn't recommend this as a first pistol class. This would kind of be, all right, I've taken a basic hanging class. What do I want to do next? And this would be a good class for me who's had a class or two before. Okay, then. So just to give some people something to take away right now, what is one home defense tip that you could give that anybody could implement right now? Okay. So if you, whether you live in an apartment or you live in a house, um, you know, I, in, in America, I, I can't think of anybody really who doesn't have generally a deadbolt on their front door. Uh, and in your door jam, there's a metal plate screwed into the, the trim on your door jam. Uh, it's nearly called a deadbolt kick plate, something like that. Uh, 
contractors are cheap and they, you know, they typically will go into a neighborhood, build a bunch of houses and just try to get out of there, you know, as cheaply as possible and sell the houses, maximize profit. Um, if you take a drill or a screwdriver um, and remove those Phillips head screws from that deadbolt kick plate, almost invariably, um, they are half inch long. What that means is, is that they screw into the decorative trim of your door jam. Now, behind that decorative trim are, are double two-by-fours, typically, that are actually what make your doorway solid. Um, however, with half-inch screws, uh, my 17-year-old daughter, who's all of 110 pounds, can walk up to most deadbolts and kick them really, really hard, you know, 110-pound teenage girl, and within a couple of kicks, kick that door in pretty easily. Uh, and certainly somebody my size, you know, 200 to 275 pounds, going to roll up, kick that door in like it's nothing. So go to Home Depot or Lowe's or hardware store of choice, local, you know, or your local business, whatever you want to do, uh, and buy some three-inch Phillips uh, Phillips head flat flathead screws that look just like the ones that you take out of your door jam, except, um, you know, three inches long. And then use those to secure your deadbolt kick plate and on the hinge side, like put one in each of your hinge plates because a three-inch screw will then go into the double two-by-fours and you can still kick or use a battering ram to kick in that door eventually, but it's the difference between me having to kick the door once to get inside or having to kick the door 15, 20, 25 times. That is a literal $1 to $2 improvement you can make, and hardening the infant points on your home is one of the single most effective things you can do to protect your house and protect yourself while you're in it. Now, and this just came to my curiosity do most, I mean, it seems like most people do just enter through doorways or are windows a big thing or is it just doors pretty much it for the most part? Oh, no, certainly, certainly, uh, you know, that's doors. Um, most people are going to try door, you know, they're going to try doors first unless they, unless you give them a reason not to. Um, windows are certainly a thing. And again, when you come to the class, we talk about all the different things you can do to harden, uh, harden windows. Uh, both to make them phys physically harder to get through. And as well, again, if somebody's got to hit your window with a hammer 20 times as opposed to hitting it once, uh, windows, and, and I'll be 100% honest with you, especially when you're dealing with like, uh, you know, like meth heads and crackheads who are motivated because uh, they're starting to fiend a little bit. Um, you know, meth heads can be parkour geniuses where people will leave their second story windows uh, unlocked uh, because, oh, you know, it's a second story window, right? Whereas the meth head who's trying to like steal some stuff so he can go buy more meth, uh, you know, like runs off of your parked vehicle onto your roof, like climbs up a drain pipe. Um, so, so yeah, there's a lot more to it than that. But in terms of just like, if I were to tell people like the only thing, you know, you can only do one thing, uh, literally get some three inch screws and put them in your deadbolt kick plates on your front and rear doors. Um, and that would be a good starting point. And obviously there's a whole bunch from there you can do depending on your budget, time available, where you live and how much trouble and effort you're willing to put into it. All right. So, and last question for home defense, what is your favorite part of teaching your home defense class? Do you have a particular part that you're like, I really like teaching this part? Um, so for, for me, um, and this is frankly probably going to be a little nebulous for some folks. Um, everybody loves to shoot. And if you come to my own defense class, we're going to shoot, we're going to have a good time, and you're going to become a better shooter, and you're going to learn some techniques. The reality, though, um, is that in terms of what is uh, gives you the, the biggest benefit in terms of time invested, um, there are a lot of instructors who can make you a better pistol shooter, and I will certainly do that. For me, it's seeing people 
um, develop. And like, as I'm teaching, I try to teach a holistic approach to where I'm not teaching paint by numbers generally. Like, like I gave you the, the screws thing because that generally applies to most, most, uh, uh, residences, but, um, I'm trying to teach people conceptual stuff rather than, you know, paint by numbers or just do a, do B and do C and you're, you're good. Um, to, teach people how to frankly think for themselves to work myself out of a job or they don't have to call me up and say, well, you know, Chris, what do you think about this? Or hit me up on Facebook messenger or whatever else. And instead I give them the tools um, to where they like, okay, Chris said the priorities were this, this, and this, and like gave us some examples, you know, showed us some real world examples of how, you know, what that might look like. Now I'm going back to my house, my neighborhood, and I can apply that. Uh, and, you know, essentially give, give empowering people and giving them uh, autonomy over their own self-defense and their own home defense decisions. Uh, and yeah, so teaching that lecture portion, frankly, is by far my favorite because teaching people how to think holistically about uh, self-defense problems, and in this case, home defense, uh, is, is, I think, uh, probably the most underrated aspect of the self-defense and self-preservation training uh, in the industry. Well, I would agree. And having taken several lecture classes from you both the home defense and the mental agility and preparedness planning skills class um your your lecture classes are very entertaining they're they're which is entertaining and educational which it's always best to have that combination rather than just death by powerpoint okay very cool so let's move on to your force on force class and now I have not yet taken your force on force class. That's something that I would very much like to do. So some of this is going to come from my own curiosity as well. So tell me about your force on force class, kind of the flow through it. Do you start with any kind of lecture? Do you start with anything or do you just jump right into the force on force? Tell me what the structure is. Yeah. So um, there is, there is, and depending on class size, um, a, a third to a half of it is is education and training, like helping folks acquire new skills, giving them an opportunity to practice those those skills in isolation. Um, and then and then we go into force on force scenarios, you know, either just before lunch or kind of the second half of the day. Again, depending on how many uh, you know how many attendees we have and so forth. Um, and, and part of that is because if if I were to just host a class where you showed up. I gave everybody the safety briefing. We did our pat downs to make sure nobody had any you know, live guns, knives, pepper sprayed, like all that stuff. Um, if we just did the the safety checks and then I handed you your, your paintball mask and your airsoft gun and your inert pepper spray and said, okay, go get in that car over there. And then when I say go, get out and walk into this convenience store. Um, people, most people uh, would would not, it wouldn't go well. Um, and and that's, I've, I've learned from experience. Yeah, people will either just, start straight up like murdering people or freeze up and get killed themselves. And so, so I try to give people enough education to where they can navigate the scenarios, um, you know, good, good, bad, or indifferent. And then, and then we continue to learn from the scenarios uh, because, you know, one person will be the protagonist, then they, that person will interact with a number of uh, uh, interact with a number of, um, you know, strangers, not necessarily, um you know, not necessarily bad people. Some of them are bad people, some of them are not. And, and then everybody else gets to watch and everybody kind of takes their turn in the hot seat. Um, so we show up that morning, we do the uh, safety brief, uh, we do the pat downs, safety checks, make sure there's no live weapons or anything in, in the uh, uh, classroom or, you know, the area where we're training. And then uh, from there, we go into teaching what is called uh, 
Well, first we do an overview. We just generally do an overview and talk about what we're going to talk about, which is frankly the exact opposite of the home defense class. Uh, the, the emphasis of this class is um, danger outside the home. Like when you're out and about interacting with strangers, um, because that is overwhelmingly outside of domestic violence and like disputes between neighbors and coworkers and stuff like that. Overwhelmingly out in public is where most people are harmed by strangers. So um, we talked about kind of an overview, then we get into what's called managing unknown contacts, uh, which is a methodology for how to interact with strangers appropriately, uh, where you are maintaining, you know, a safe distance, you're uh, managing uh, the circumstances verbally without being confrontational and escalating things, uh, and, and also just not being paranoid and acting like a crazy person. Um, then from there, we get into uh, some alternate uh, alternate firing positions, like draw stroke presentations when you're in close proximity to people and you need to get your gun out. Uh, we talk very, uh, you know, we do an overview of uh, OC and pepper spray because I have inner trainers that I allow people to use. They want to use them in their scenarios. And so I'll typically talk about the benefits and let them try it out if it's not something they've used before. Um, and then, uh, and then we get into the scenario. And again, these scenarios are, um, there's a certain percentage of them where somebody definitely should get shot. Uh, it's, you know, it's a clear lethal force incident. Then there's a certain percentage of them where nobody should get shot. There should absolutely be no, no shooting. And, you know, there's some of them that no force should be involved whatsoever. Um, it's something you can just easily navigate. And then there's a, a, a pretty significant portion of scenarios where they're, they're in the middle somewhere and depend on it's a choose your own adventure, depending on the stories, uh, you know, the choices that you make and where you take the story, maybe it escalates and you paint yourself in a corner where you have no other option but to shoot a person, or maybe you do find the magic words to say, or you position yourself in such a way, or you do a thing that either deters them or deescalates the situation and nobody gets shot. And so, um, it is. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a fun adventurous day. But yeah, you're going to show up. I'm going to teach you techniques that you can use in these scenarios, um, and then we're going to get out there. We're going to start experimenting. People are going to you know they're going to succeed. They're going to fail, um, you know, in a safe environment and a, a positive environment uh, that's focused on learning. And and uh, everybody seems to have a good time. I guess what I should have asked first, because this is a good question, is what is actually force on force? Because some people ah. may have a different idea of what it is and might have, you know, might not know at all. So tell me what force on force is. Sure. So uh, force on force, uh, broadly, very broadly. And I, to be honest with you, I don't even like the term. I use the term um, because it's one that people recognize. Like it, it existed before me. Um, the term generally speaking means um, that it is not live fire, you know, that it's scenario based training where you have um, a person who's designated as the good guy, like you're, you know, you melody would be you melody, you're yourself, you're, and then you're doing whatever you're told to do uh, within the scenario. Uh, and then force on the force on force aspect is there are other role players within the scenario uh, uh, who um, effectively would be applying force to you and vice versa. So instead of you punching holes in paper, you know, you draw your gun, you shoot live rounds to the paper, and then I come by and say, hey, good job, keep doing that. Or, hey, you need to fix this, do this, and like move on. Um, instead of just focusing on the shooting aspect, uh, in this case, in we, I use the airsoft guns. A lot of, you know, a lot of people like simunitions. Um, I, I like the simplicity of airsoft. But yeah, we basically use various training tools um, and protective gear to where, um, in our force on force, as I already mentioned, um, there's not always force involved. 
but that is kind of the term for any time you have people role-playing in scenarios where there might be simulated violence and people shooting at one another or whatever else. Um, and so, yeah, that's force on force in a nutshell. Uh, I try to take a little bit more nuanced take on it. So really it's just scenario training. Some of it's force on force. Some of it, there's no force at all, but people know what FOF means, uh, you know, or recognize that term generally. That's what that's used. So that's the term I use. Well, and so a lot of people who hear the term force on force are kind of afraid of it or put off by it. So what are, what do you think are some of the fears of people who have either heard the term or maybe don't understand what do you think are the common fears of them? And then how do you address them? So um, there's, there's frankly kind of two, two primary archetypes of folks who would avoid, uh, you know, force on force training or scenario training. Um, so for uh, a lot of, a lot of people, they hear force on force and they think that it's going to be like John Wick school. Like I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be like, all right, Melody, get out of the car. And then when you get out of the car, Russian drug mafia kingpins have their soldiers. You know, you're like, you're shooting it out with like 20 dudes and it's just wildly unrealistic scenarios. And it basically turns the devolves into like paintball. And, you know, um, it's, and, you know, it's tactical fantasy camp or, you know, commando fantasy camp or whatever. So I think there's certain people that avoid it because they think it's going to be that. It's going to be a bunch of wildly unrealistic stuff. And certainly that exists. I'm sure we'll talk about it later. Um, then the other, the other, folks that avoid it um well I, I would actually say there's three camps another category of people that avoid it are people that have done it before and it was poorly run they didn't have a good experience because uh, there's frankly it's very easy to do force on force poorly in a number of different ways um and so um yeah didn't have a good experience like yeah force on force is dumb i went and like it, this is what happened and it was stupid and i hated it i talked to a lot of those people like training junkies who did it once and like nope not for me uh and then the, the third camp is frankly people who um maybe have been training a while maybe have a self-image of themselves it's like very very competent as self-protectors self-defenders um and when you do really any force on force good or bad there there is a high degree of likelihood that you might be put in a situation where you don't succeed because if if everybody's going into scenarios and everybody's winning is it really valuable training right and when i'm in the hot seat i'm getting out of the car and i'm going into the convenience store to buy uh you know eggs or whatever and i then have an interaction with a stranger that goes a certain way um and i do poorly but like six or eight or 10 or 12 of my classmates are standing around watching me doing it, that can be embarrassing. And frankly, it can be damaging to the ego. And so that is another reason why, why some people uh, avoid it. So some people just think it's tactical Timmy training, uh, you know, commando training, which is, you know, it doesn't have to be. Some people have had a bad experience and some people are frankly, don't want to get their ego deflated. And how do you address either those fears or how do you, I mean, it sounds like some of those, they just have to be addressed kind of internally but how would you address those fears if someone came to you or you suspected that one of those things was inhibiting them? Well, so funny enough, probably half my mental bandwidth on, on a, any given day where I'm running this force on force class, uh, probably half my middle bandwidth is expended on managing the mindset of the students, both from setting the expectations partly, which we're doing with this interview to, you know, kind of the welcome and in brief, Hey, here's what we're going to do today. Um, to throughout the day, uh, trying to prime people 
to the correct mental state uh, because I think that basically having people's minds right for force on force is essential to good to good force on force scenario training. And so, uh, for the folks that think it's tactical tra Timmy training, that stuff exists, right? There are force on force classes you can sign up for, where yeah, you're you're getting ambushed in the woods, running around with AR-15, whatever. That is not uh, this this course. Um, this is uh, all of my scenarios. Um, you know, some of them are super common and you've probably been in some of them before. Some of them are more far-fetched, but they are based on real events. But every one of my scenarios that I run is based, you know, in some way, shape or form on real events that have happened to normal people. It's not for special operators. It's not for cops. Uh, certainly, you know, folks in the military and folks in law enforcement come out to this and get some value out of it. But the scenarios would be essentially they were on their day off buying groceries um, because my goal isn't to make people good at what I used to do in Syria or Iraq. My goal is to make people um, prepared for the gas pump carjacking or walking in on a convenience store robbery and, and making smart decisions uh, and decreasing the risk to themselves and others and not increasing it. And so, um, yeah, this, this course is very much tailored to the average everyday person and average everyday person scenarios that you could realistically find yourself in. As far as people who have had negative experiences, um, I think here in just a minute, we're going to talk about, uh, kind of, um, so I'll, I'll come back to that one. And then the, the last one, as far as the ego stuff, um, throughout the class, and I'll do this now too, we, I try to redefine success for people. Uh, because one of the biggest mental roadblocks, I can do all the, the right things to create a good scenario and have, you know, educate my role players and have them making, you know, doing realistic things. But there's a certain degree of integrity that an attendee has to have within themselves, where I don't want people to think of it in terms of winning or losing. Uh, I want to win this scenario and look good in front of everybody, because I will have, I will often have attendees who are doing their best to treat the scenarios if it's real, make decisions as if it was real, but they make a mistake and they make a decision that was suboptimal. Um, but they learn from it. Everybody watching learned from it. And a week, a week later or a month later, or a year later, themselves or someone else who was watching it might go out and make a better decision in a real world scenario. And do you know what I call that? I call it success. Likewise, I occasionally have attendees who um, want to win and they basically guess and they think, they like, okay, I think he's going to do this, or I think he's going to do that, or, oh, here's what I think I should do. Here's what I think he wants to see, because they're treating it like a game that they're trying to win instead of taking it honestly and treating it like real life. And a lot of times those people will guess right. Like they'll, they skip the mental processing and decision-making and just gun comes out and they pop somebody. And it did just so happen that dude was a chainsaw, chainsaw murderer but their process was flawed and they didn't learn anything and nobody else watching it really learned anything. It looked cool. They're going to have a good slow-mo video for Instagram, but you know what I call that? I call it failure. No progress was made. You're no better now than you were before you showed up. Uh, and so I do not ever seek to shame anybody. And the bottom line is, is that I would rather have somebody um, make a mistake and learn from it uh, in a positive environment. We don't, you know, we don't ridicule each other. We don't belittle each other. Uh, there's no mean spiritedness. And I don't tolerate that in my classes. Um, you know, when I go through this training on my own with other trainers, I respect, I make mistakes sometimes. And again, if you're never making mistakes, if you're never missing shots, you're probably not pushing yourself. If you're never making mistakes in scenario training, the scenarios are probably a little too easy. Uh, so it can be, uh, it can affect the ego, but sometimes that's what people need. Sometimes people need to think, realize like, oh, holistic self-defense is a little more complicated 
um, than maybe I previously thought. I thought it was going to be super straightforward, but like sometimes I walk out of a convenience store and what I'm seeing isn't necessarily what I immediately decided is, and it's something more complicated. 